0: Welcome to Feed the Sheep Podcast. This is your host, Ross Steele. As I always say, God is good all the time, and all the time, the devil is stupid. Here, I like to talk about things culture doesn't want to talk about. I talk about things to advance the gospel, to build the kingdom, and bless the world. Let's get right to it. All right, all right. Welcome back to another episode of Feed the Sheep. It's your boy, Ross Steele. Um, I actually wanted to tell you guys, I'm, you know, humbly I will like to say humbly first that I have recently accepted a position as the campus pastor of a new um, newly acquired Pendleton campus for life church um, we got the campus back in March I briefly talked about it last season but I am now the campus pastor of this campus and the young adults pastor over life church so With that being said, uh, if you're somewhere in the area and you're looking for a new church um, and maybe you're looking to be a part of something new, be a part of building the kingdom, um, and if you feel led ever so slightly to come experience a weekend with us, we do 10 a.m. services in Pendleton, Indiana, Life Church, Pendleton Campus. You can find it on Google. You can find it on our webpage, lifechurchin.com. And I will say, though, I know it sounds like a plug for Life Church, But we are part of one kingdom. Remember that always. And uh, it's not about, you know, what we do better than than you or what you do better than us. But if you do stuff better than us, I want to know about it because I want to do it just as good as y'all. There's there's a lot of things that other churches around do better than we do. And I'd love to know what it is so that we can continue to build the kingdom um, and and lead people into a relationship with the Lord, and only only the Holy Spirit is the one who changes the hearts. It's not us. It's not it's not the pastor, and um, you know, you're just as likely to lead somebody to the Lord by discipling them and being a witness to them in the in the workplace. You know, not a lot of people can come to Sunday service, and or will even come to Sunday service, but you have the opportunity every single day out and about in your world. In your sphere of influence, I just pray, uh, uh, you know, I I hope that you'll be blessed with a spirit of courage to uh, talk about Jesus with somebody new this week. So, as always, y'all, we're going to start with a word of prayer, and then we're going to get to session two of Revision Conference 2022. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. Uh, I continue to pray over everybody who listens week in and week out. I come on behalf to intercede on behalf of the hearts, be, behalf of the souls, Lord, um, that are being changed ever ever so slightly each week as they step in and out of church, um, listen to whatever podcast, whatever worship playlist that they play. Lord, may you be at the center of it all. Give them the courage to share the good news of the grace that you've given us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all, this is session two from Revision 2022 with my good friend, Josh Sousa, who is now most recently, and you'll hear, uh, launched a Chi Alpha chapter at IUPUI. So if you are at IUPUI, this is something that you want to be a part of. You will not want to miss this. This man's got a great heart, and you're going to hear it in this message. So grab a notepad and a pen unless you're driving, let's get right down to it so Josh is I grew up at a church in Anderson and then in 2011 uh, my dad moved us to Life Church and over at the Fisher's campus Josh was over there but he knew me before that just the camp and everything else and and uh, Everybody knows that I'm the youngest of six, but my whole family, we're very, very competitive. And if you go to a teen camp, we went to uh, Hartford City Teen Camp uh, during the Assemblies of God week, and yeah, we'll praise the praise Lord for that. Uh, but we had a blast but we we're super competitive and we always went i went with uh we were called my youth group was called remix at the time and this was when i was with uh anderson faith and uh we were down by like 400 points going into the last day we just finished uh at the at the we've just finished dinner and we were out on the dock looking over this water if you've ever been to Hartford city you know what i'm talking about uh and or lake placid and you know what i'm talking about but I'm out there, and Josh and uh, another leader there that week, they were kind of coordinating, MCing, and he says, I said, Josh, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to get bonus points so that we can win? And he says, he says, hmm, what, what can I have you do? And he looks at me and says, pee your pants right now. <laughs> and I said, I said, seriously? Like, you'll give me, he was, he was like, how, how far are you behind? I said, 400 points. He was like. It's like I'll give you like five or eight hundred something. I don't remember the exact money, but enough to get us over so that we could we could claim claim the hardware and get the dub. And I was like, I'll take any I'll do it all for my team. I'm here to win. And instantaneously, you can ask him, instantaneously, I just I just go for it. And I'm, we're out on the deck, so it's not hard to clean up or anything, but I just, I just let it go. I'm like, you know, spirit's flowing, I'm flowing, what's going on here? But, but I was like, and you know, this man had the audacity to look at me, he's, and he's, he's crying laughing. He has the audacity to say, bro, you know I can't give you bonus points for that. <laughs> so I peed my pants for absolutely no reason. Anyways, give it up for Josh Shusa to bring this message from the Word. <laughs>
1: Man, it's good to be with you all. A couple things he left out of the story, conveniently, is uh, when I looked at him after it happened, I was like, I can't believe you peed your pants. And he was like, well, these aren't my pants. So the only reason he agreed to do it is because he was wearing someone else's pants. So that's why he was okay with it. so, uh, amazing, amazing. I'm so glad to see where he's come from. He went from peeing his pants at camp, now he's running a conference. So it's amazing. <laughs> the Lord can do stuff with your life. Everybody say, Amen! amen. My name is Josh. Uh, Sousa. I want to show you a picture of my family um, with my wife, Danny, and our two youngest kids. We uh, are missionaries full-time. There they are. Uh, we are missionaries full-time to uh, college students. And so we work with an organization called Chi Alpha, and uh, we have been full-time missionaries. We were at Missouri State University for about three and a half years, and then we were at Indiana University in Bloomington. And uh, my wife and I and a team of seven others have all moved to the city where, because I'm originally from here, grew up on the east side of Indy, uh, graduated from you know school over there, but we've all moved back to Indianapolis and our Chi Alpha chapter is getting launched this fall at IUPUI. So we are really excited. So if you are an IUPUI student, we need to have a conversation before you leave. I would love to meet you. We're actually going to have a hangout um, at at, uh, one of our staff's houses this Sunday night. And if you're like a Butler student, Ivy Tech, Marion, UND, um, we want you too, right? So come hang with us. Like If you're an Indianapolis College student, we would love to have a conversation and just see what we can do together. And so basically, the whole thing that we do is we invest our lives into students. We do life on life discipleship for the four years they're with us. And then we raise them up to go and be people that make disciples themselves on campus. And so what we believe is that if we can transform the university, we can change the world. Because the truth is the world is coming to the university. Like I could try and convince any of you to go overseas and be a missionary. Um, But you know, the truth is, it would be way easier to reach an international student who already knows the language, who already understands the culture, and then when they graduate from the university and they head back to their country, they're ready, rocking and rolling, boots on the ground right away to start reaching people with the gospel. And so we just really believe in Kaiafa. We've been doing it for the last five years and we're super invested in it. So again, if you're an Indianapolis-based college student at one of those five universities, please come have a conversation with me before you leave tonight, okay? All right, well, uh, one more thing I want to draw your attention to. Several years ago, I wrote a book called Living a Questionable Life. I would like to give a free copy to somebody if somebody is interested. Yeah, right here, right here. You raise your hand really fast and really high. Okay, here, come on, give it up for her. She makes her way up here. Here we go. Um, Basically, the journey of that book was, how many of you know, like, especially if you grew up in church, you hear these stories when you're in youth group, like, you're going to go to your school and you're going to reach everyone for Jesus, and you're like, how? How in the world is that going to happen? And then I remember my youth pastor, he was like, there's, there's people that they would stand up in the cafeteria on a chair, and they would preach the gospel, and everyone gets saved. And I was like, I'd rather die. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to stand up in my—I went to Warren Central High School, 4,000 students in my school, right? I was not, Dub C, come on, baby, warriors, like that. There's no way I was standing up in the cafeteria and be like, do any of you all know, jeez? Like, we went to Warren, they beat you up for that kind of stuff right and uh and so i was just like i don't know that's not me and so then i always felt like a terrible christian because i wasn't that person right i wasn't the person to stand on a street corner and just like bring it and so um i went through this journey where i was reading in ephesians 4 where it talks about that jesus gave five gifts within the body of Christ to help expand the church. He said, to some he made to be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some shepherds, and some teachers. And all of a sudden I'm reading that and I'm like, wait a minute, only one-fifth of the body of Christ is gifted at evangelism. No wonder I suck at this. I was like, I'm four-fifths of the people. I just, that's a big group of us. And yet, Paul tells Timothy in Scripture, he says, but you have to do the work of an evangelist. And so the question I had is, what does it look like to do evangelism when you're not gifted for it? It's not natural. You know those people, like, they walk into a room full of strangers, and in a second, not only do they have 20 best friends, but they've led a revival in the grocery store? That's not me, right? And so I did a deep dive through Scripture, and that journey is why I put into this book. So this book is basically an explanation of, hey, if you're one of the four-fifths, how in the world do we change people's lives when we don't feel like we're good at it? I explain that through Scripture, and then I give you practical stories of things I've done in my life that actually led to life change for people. So it's only $10. Uh, Stop by before you leave tonight. Come pick up a book, okay? All right, let's get into my assignment. Um, I'm very excited. So by a show of hands, how many of you felt like your childhood was filled with new learning experiences that were very difficult at times? Raise your hand. Okay, only some of you. Wow. Okay, so walking wasn't hard. You just did it, right? Like you were just crawling. The next thing you know, you're like, oof. Like just worked, right? Like it's challenging riding a bike for the first time. My my youngest, Joelle, she just learned how to ride a bike this summer. Um, She learned how to swim this summer. We told her, we're like, Joelle, this is the year of brave. That's, That's your quote for this year. She's like, the year of brave? We're like, you could do anything. She's like, that's right, I'm brave like that, so she's riding a bike, She learn how to swim, all this stuff. Um, one of the, probably the most challenging things I went through when I was growing up was, I grew up in Massachusetts, that's where I was born. We lived in a, in a town called New Bedford, Massachusetts. Um, anyone ever read the story Moby Dick in school? How many of you have even heard of the book Moby Dick? Okay. It takes place in New Bedford, Massachusetts. It's the whaling city. Yay, right? It's where I'm from. And when I was 13, my dad lost his job, and he said, we're moving to the Midwest. Now, you have to understand, in in the East Coast, nobody cares about anything unless it's in the East Coast. I literally told my friends, I'm like, I'm moving. They're like, where are you moving to? And I'm like, Indiana. They're like, is that a state? Like, (laughs) they... They don't care about, if it's not there, it doesn't matter to them, right? It skips everything in between and goes to California. It's the only thing in the world, right? Um, and so we moved, and I was, I was attending a really small Christian school in Massachusetts. I'm talking like, when I say small, our graduation classes were three, okay? <laughs> really small Christian school and then we move and we get a house on the east side of indianapolis and my next place i'm going to is creston junior high school okay and um i'll never forget we get there and my parents are t- getting a tour with the guidance counselor. We moved, bef- like after the school year, it started, So it's October, everyone's already like made friends and all this stuff, I'm the new kid. I come in, my parents are walking me through the halls. I'm like, I'm really nervous about this experience. I don't know if I'm gonna fit in with anybody. And then the guidance counselor's like, so this will be your science class. And literally there's this dude sitting uh, kind of in the middle of the room, he's just like this. And he's like, blue sucker, what you looking at? Like that, and I was like, I don't wanna be here. I want to move right now. I want to go back, OK? I was like, this is going to be really challenging. And I thought maybe that's as challenging as it get, right? It wasn't. Here's what I realized. Nobody thinks you're cool when you have a Massachusetts accent in the Midwest. Um, All of a sudden, I'm walking around, because I don't even say the same words. Like if you get an ice cream sundae and you get the little sugary, colorful things that you sprinkle on, what do you call those things? Sprinkles. Yeah, no, we call them jimmies. <laughs> They're called jimmies in Massachusetts, right? And I'll never forget. I'm in I'm in homeroom at Creston Junior High, and I raise my hand because I'm really thirsty, and the teacher goes, "Yes, Josh." I was like, "Yeah, can I go to the water bubbler?" And she's like. I'm sorry, what? I was like, "Can I go to the water bubbler?" She's like, "I'm sorry, come again?" I was like, "Wow, she's like really not smart, right?" So what happens every time we say something we think people don't understand, what do we do? We just say it louder and slower. Even when we're in foreign countries, we do this, right? We're like, "Where's the bathroom?" Mm, no comprende, like that. Where is the bathroom? As if all of a sudden now they understand, right? So I just look at I go. Where is the wada babla, like that? And she's like, I'm sorry, can you, like, describe what you're talking about? I was like, silver box? You push the button and water comes out? Like, what do you mean? You never seen one of these? Like that. And she's like, you mean the water fountain? I'm like, okay, whatever, right? I realized, I started getting roasted in Warren Township schools. I mean, every day was brutal. I was bullied so hard. Here's what I did, I would go home every day, I would stand in front of the mirror, and I'd go, water. Like I made myself practice, I lost my accent. Literally lost it. People now are like, I, talk like that. And I'm like, no, why? So you can make fun of me? Cause I say Jimmies, right? So like, no, 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 but anyways, bro, it was, it was a challenging time in Warren township. So um, in the East side, like people are just tough, man. That's just what it is. You better get thick skin or, you know, figure something out. So, but because of that, I don't want my kids to think they can't do difficult stuff. So we have a creed that we say in the Sousa house all the time, and it is this, Sousas do hard things. So when we were talking to Joelle about, hey, you're gonna learn how to swim this year, she's like, swimming is hard. And I'm like, I know, but Sousas do hard things. And she's like, okay, right? We say it all the time, to the point they're annoyed by it. They'd be like, Dad, this is hard. I'm like, mm, but what do Sousas do? They're like, hard things, right? And so that is kind of like a creed in my house. Um, Seusses do hard things. Now when we hear Creed, uh, Gen Z thinks of a movie starring Michael B. Jordan, while my generation thinks of a rock band who wanted to take us higher. Um, But Creed is also a statement of belief that guides a person or group. Many of you probably know some Creed's right off the top of your head right now. Uh, For example, how many of you have ever seen any of the Fast and Furious movies? There's like a hundred, right? Dom Toretto used to always say, you don't turn your back on? Come on, that's a Creed, right? how about Spider-Man? Any Spider-Man fans? Right? With great power comes... Great responsibility. So the early church had a couple that we know of. There was the Apostles' Creed. There was the Nicene Creed, which are two of the most well-known. However, the earliest creed of the church was summed up in an easy, wonderful, three-word statement of faith. And it is, Jesus is Lord. Everyone say, Jesus is Lord. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to the book of Romans, chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. It says this, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Author Bruxy Cavey says in his book Reunion, he says by fully understanding and embracing that Jesus is Lord, we are transformed. Accepting this fact radically changes our understanding of God, which in turn changes our understanding of our world, our lives, our values, our identity, and our potential. All these from three simple words, Jesus is Lord. Say Jesus is Lord. Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4-5, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. You get the idea that the early church's creed was this simple and wonderful truth that Jesus is Lord. Notice Paul does not call us to simply believe that Jesus is our Savior. Now, did Jesus save us from our sins? Yes, okay? yes he did. But that's not the only thing he did. You see, the truth is, Jesus as Lord is bigger than Jesus as Savior, although Jesus as Savior is packaged inside of Jesus as Lord. But why do I feel like I need to make the distinction? Because my concern is that if we preach a gospel that only has Jesus as our Savior, and that's all we focus on... Then, then all we have is we think the point of this whole thing is for us to be saved from our sins so we can go to heaven when we die. That's it. That's the point. And although I think the gospel includes those things, I think it's much bigger than just those things. See, I think the gospel may say something about the afterlife, but it has way more to say about this present life. Although the gospel is partially about your redemption from sin, it is more about refocusing yourself into the mission of God. Truthfully, Jesus' as Savior alone leaves people free, but it doesn't leave them focused. It leaves people protected, but it doesn't give them a purpose. Jesus' Savior alone makes freeing you from your sin the point. And if your salvation is the pinnacle and finish line of it all, then guess what? The second you come out of the water of baptism, you're done. There's nothing else to do. Because if the point is to be saved, you do that when you ask Jesus to your heart and then you get baptized. Now we're done. There's nothing else to do. Unless there's more. Come on, are you with me? We're going to have a conversation. I'm going to preach, and you're going to let me know if it's going okay. If you don't talk to me, I'm thinking you're not getting it, so I have to repeat it. Does that make sense? You don't want me to repeat it. So just, I'm with you, Josh. All right? As one of my favorite parishioners of all time, he's a guy named Andre. When I would preach at my church, he would go, oh, watch out now, like that. Listen, you want to do one of those? I'm down, too. But just not 10 of you do it, then it's annoying. All right? (laughs) So if all we have is Jesus' savior, then we're failing to include his destruction of heavy-weighted religion and the installation of a kingdom full of missional love where Jesus is king. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, then your creed should not be Jesus' savior, although he did do that. Your posture should be Jesus' lord because it requires more than just a belief. It requires nothing less than total allegiance to him. With that being said, I wanna spend the rest of our time together going through the three simple words, Jesus is Lord, give you some thoughts, and then we're gonna respond. And the reason why we're gonna do this is because in the heart of what I believe is, is happening with Ross and, and Revision, if we're gonna revision everything that like, we could do and how we're gonna transform our communities and really transform, like we have to rally around a single focus and that focus has to be Jesus but more than that it has to be that Jesus is our lord amen so let's look at the first word of our creed Jesus everyone say Jesus, Jesus. Notice we say Jesus is Lord and not Christ or Messiah. Uh, why is it important to our salvation and lives that Jesus is Lord? It's because when we say Jesus is Lord, we are acknowledging that we're talking about a real person that was w- with a real name and he was rooted in real history. Uh, again, uh, author Bruxa Cavey, he says this, God actually became one of us. We are just talking about a cosmic Christ as some sort of detached spiritual life force. We have vivid evidence rooted in human history that God loves us literally to death. Look at how John's Gospel puts this in John 1.14. The word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, John, in this in his passage here, he could have used way more honorable words than Jesus became flesh. He could have said, and the word became human, or the word took on a body. Instead, John does something bold. He said, the word took on flesh, which probably would have shocked his first readers because the Greek word he uses for flesh here is this word called sarx. And sarx carries with it this concept. That, that is like it's connected to our human frailty and our brokenness. As a matter of fact, sometimes the word sarks is translated in Scripture as our sinful nature. And it says that the Word took on that. He, he walked into our brokenness, our frailty. He became one of us in every way. And John didn't back away from using that word. And I think he uses that exact word because he wants us to know how much God loves us and all of us, even in our human weakness. So he became flesh. Through Jesus, God redeems rather than rejects what it means to be human. And what this tells us is that God refuses to hover above us like a deity whose glory is more important than his grace. Does God want us to worship him? Absolutely. But he loves us too. He's not someone that says, worship me because I'm insecure. That's not not the God we serve. We worship him because he's good and because he's gracious and he's kind and he's loving and he loves everyone. The importance of this truth means that the gospel is not just about the death of Christ and him saving us from our sin, a theological word called justification. The gospel is the whole story of Jesus, including him taking on our human nature, a theological word called the incarnation. The last thing I wanna say about Jesus being Lord is what is implied by what we are not saying. When the early church said Jesus is Lord, what they were also saying is Caesar is not. Jesus is Lord means Caesar is not. I I wanna be really clear here. The disciples, like all of them are killed for their faith. I mean, John's the only one that survives, but they tried to kill him. They put him in a vat of boiling oil. They're all killed for their faith. And the reason why they're killed is not because they're walking around towns and communities going, Hey, there's a a guy who died and rose from the dead named Jesus, and he loves you. Shut up! Kill him! Like, that's not... Nobody wants to kill you because you tell them that somebody loves them. That's not why they got killed. They were killed because they were walking around saying, Jesus is Lord, Caesar isn't. And when you say Caesar isn't Lord in the Roman Empire, you die. You understand? This is a bold statement they're making. For the disciples in the early church, whenever Jesus and Caesar clashed, Jesus always won. And today, for all of us, we have a Caesar. It just looks different. Our Caesars, sometimes are our, our culture, sometimes it's our money, sometimes it's uh, our social media following, sometimes it's our identities that we put things in, sometimes it can even be what we align with as far as different belief systems or political parties, but we have our Caesars in our life that we say, this is super important to me. But let me be clear, when we say Jesus is Lord, we are saying all of those things are not. Let me give you some things, right? And it's like really quiet, which means maybe you're uncomfortable or maybe you're being confronted with, oh, wow, maybe I have some Caesars in my life. And that's a good thing. And we're going to get to why that's a good thing. But, but the truth is, if you're going to say Jesus is Lord, then here's also what you're saying. You're saying that in your life, culture isn't. Your country isn't, power isn't, money isn't, religion isn't, politics aren't, your denomination is not, fame is not, your friends are not, and not even your family is. When you say Jesus is Lord, he's even more important than your family. To do this any other way is to make something else Lord, which means you have an idol, an object of your worship other than Jesus. And if you have that, be prepared for disappointment because only Jesus can be your source of joy, peace, and completeness. No one else and nothing else can be that for you. Can I tell you where I see this happen all the time in college ministry? It's in relationships. Young adults get into a relationship and that other person literally becomes their entire world. And then they break up. And then you'll hear statements like, I don't even know who I am. Well, why did you let that person define your identity? Why did that person get to be your Lord? Can I tell you why making a human being your Lord is a horrible idea? It's a horrible idea for two reasons. Number one, when you make another human your Lord, you are gonna be crushed by the fact they can never meet your standard. Because when they're supposed to be God for you, they can't be. But second, they're always going to be crushed by the fact they're always disappointing you. A human being cannot serve in that role. Only Jesus can be in that role. Someone say amen. So here's the good news, though. When you make Jesus your Lord and you put everything else second then he is going to send you back into the world as a better version of yourself. And the best gift any of us could ever give this world is to actually abandon it for Jesus so he can send us back into it, empowered to love it like Jesus. So may we love and live as if we believe that Jesus, everyone say Jesus, is Lord. But let's also understand that Jesus is, everyone say is, is. Lord. Notice we say Jesus is Lord and not Jesus was Lord or will be Lord. Because Jesus is Lord, not just back then, but right here and right now. We can experience His love right here and right now. The Apostle Paul wrote Jesus is Lord in Romans more than 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, which is significant. You see, if Paul had said Jesus was Lord, then he would be saying something true but incomplete. That little word, is, changes everything we know about the Gospel. For example, the word, is, leaves us to believe that Jesus still is Lord, even though He died. I mean, how many, how many kings do you know of are still kings after they die? No, once they die, they're done being king, but not Jesus, because this king rose from the dead. So when you say Jesus is Lord, you're declaring that you believe He's resurrected. And let me tell you, to be a Christian, I want to be really clear on this. I tell our college students this. The one thing that determines whether you're actually a Christian is not because you said a prayer at an altar one time. It is really simple. 1 Corinthians 15. Do you believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead? Even if you think he died on a cross, that part doesn't matter as much. Paul says that. Because you know what? Thousands of Jews died on crosses. Only one of them ever came back to talk about it. And so when you say Jesus is Lord, you're saying he wasn't just the king then. He's the king now because he lives. Someone get excited. You see, Jesus died, but he still is Lord. He's still alive. The word is implies a resurrection took place, and that's significant because the resurrection is God's great exclamation point on Easter weekend. The resurrection is why we can say Jesus is Lord. Romans 10, 9 says it this way. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's two things here. Do you believe He rose from the dead? Yes, but is He your Lord? When He can be those things, then you're saved. So Jesus, the God-man who lived at a specific period in time is risen from the dead and that specific Jesus is Lord. Everyone say Lord. We know from history and literature that the word Lord had three primary uses. First, it's a title of respect, like Sir. English speakers uh, use this term during the Middle Ages uh, all the time in in a world filled with lords and ladies. Anyone ever watch the show Downton Abbey? (laughs) Love that show. Love that show. You have characters all the time? Yes, my lord, right? So that's one way we use Lord. Second, the word could mean a leader, one who has authority. Third, the Greek word for Lord, Kyrios, was sometimes used as a substitute for the name of God. I believe that Paul in the early church probably used all three for Jesus. For example, it's a sign of respect in John four nineteen and 5, 7. Other times, Jesus called Lord as a way to refer to his divine identity in Mark 1, 3 and five nineteen. But most often, calling Jesus our Lord is a way of saying that he is our leader, our king, and the one to whom we look to teach us a new way of living. And why is having Jesus as our Lord good news? Because although we as humans love the idea of being our own lords, it is human nature to be influenced as much as we try to influence. We always, at the end of the day, end up serving somebody or something. Truthfully, we are not infinitely wise. Therefore, we tend to attach ourselves to others who know more than us or are further along in their journey to show us how to grow. And sometimes we even submit ourselves to things instead of people and receive an identity from it. It's sports or money or possessions. As a result, we get very attached to people or things and sometimes are hurt by it. Maybe it's a relationship that isn't healthy. Maybe it's a habit that's killing us or a pattern of thinking that's destroying us. When we finally realize that this is happening to us, some of us try to detach ourselves from everything like a kite cutting its own string. But we weren't made for detachment. We were made for attachment. We were made to be in community. As a matter of fact, do you know that in the early church, there, isn't, there was never even a concept of being able to interpret anything from scripture by yourself? The concept was you would always read the Bible in community and arrive to interpretations together. The Christian life is to be lived out in a community, never in isolation. In isolation, that's how you get picked off. That's why it says that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for those to devour. Listen, lions, they, they, they like to devour things when, when that thing is by itself. They go for the easier kill. And so be in community. But when you're in community, make sure you're also attaching yourself to the right person. Or maybe even better yet, to the right person who loved you by becoming you by taking on human flesh. The one who laid down his life to save you, but then also rose from the dead and took his place as the Lord and King of a new kingdom where people get to grow into a better humanity. Listen, Jesus is Lord is a great creed and it's really good theology. But at the end of the day, why talk about it? Why does it even matter in your life right here, right now, in this place? I, wanna, I want you to imagine with me that there's a chair here on this platform. Imagine like it's a giant throne and you get to decorate it however you think it should look. But the truth is there is a throne above every single one of our lives. And who sits on that throne is who's in charge of your life. And the thing is this, because God loves us enough to give us this thing called free will, because love doesn't really exist apart from a choice. You can't be forced to love someone. That's abuse, by the way, right? Free will, like you choose to love whatever. So because he loves us, he says, I'll give you the power to put whatever or whomever on that throne that you wish. I'm hoping you put me there. The truth is, and it may not be that we're like these devious people trying to put evil things on the throne. Sometimes it's as simple as we don't even understand we're doing it. You know, my wife, Danny, she has her master's degree in counseling and so um, she's worked in the mental health field for many years. and. If there's anyone that you're gonna meet that's like a huge proponent for therapy and counseling, I'm gonna be one of those people. And uh, our personal philosophy is you go to counseling not because you're messed up, you go to counseling so that things won't be messed up. We're proactive with it. And I remember early on in our marriage, we were in a therapy session and I was was talking about some of the traumas I've walked through in my life. Like my childhood was actually really traumatic, all kinds of abuse and stuff like that. and I remember I was, I was looking at Danny and I said, Danny, one of the things I love about you is like, you came into my life and you healed me. And I'm so thankful that my therapist caught me right there. And he said, let's back that up for a second. He said, you're a Christian and I'm a Christian. And here's what we know scripture teaches us. There is one who is the healer and what's his name? I said, his name is Jesus. He goes, so Danny can't be your healer. Only Jesus can be that. He says, Josh, when you make her your healer, you make her your savior and Lord. And she can't be that for you. And I looked over at Danny, I said, is that how you feel? And my wife just started bawling. And she says, I have felt so much pressure trying to feel like I have to heal you. And I was just like, wow, it's not her job. It's not my job. It's Jesus' job because only he can be Lord. And so when, when I say, please put him on that throne, please make him Lord, this is not us submitting ourselves to like this really mean dictator. That's not what I'm asking you to do. And maybe that's a version of God you, you were given. That's the version of God I was given growing up. I mean, I literally only saw God as totally ticked off and ready to punish me at the slightest mistake until I learned about grace and it transformed my life. And now I'm graced out, baby, like totally. But here's what I love. One of my favorite verses, it says that we can boldly approach his throne of grace we don't cowardly approach his throne of judgment we boldly approach his throne of grace why because we're his kids you know what my youngest Gavin and Joelle you know what they can do with me any day of the week boldly walk up to me because they knew who they are they're my kid they can boldly walk up and be like hey dad I want you as a matter of fact, I was, I was leading worship for my sister at her church this last Sunday. And we're getting ready to walk off the platform. It's the middle of service. And there's hundreds of people in this service. And Joelle, my seven-year-old, comes running down the aisle. She's like, Dad. And you're, you're like, what are you doing? We're in the middle of service. She's not worried. She's like, that's my dad. I can crawl up in his lap anytime I want. I'm boldly approaching that platform. And God says, you can do that with me anytime you want. So when I say Jesus is my Lord, that's who I'm submitting to. Not someone that's like, worship me. But one that's like, do you need me? Come here. And just sets down, he holds us. What do you need, son? What do you need, daughter? That's the Lord we surrender our lives to. And so, really simple, I want everyone to stand to your feet. Here's here's the response I'm going to ask us to make. I really believe Jesus wants to live out the kingdom life. But listen, we're going to be honest. Like, you can't live out the kingdom if you don't correctly acknowledge who's king. Like, it's got to be him. It can't be you. It can't be a thing. It can't be another human being. It's got to be him. And so here it is, plain and simple. Will you commit to making Jesus your Lord? And that's, that's really the thing. And I want you to look inward and deep and down with every every head bowed and every eye closed. I want you to just think for a moment. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to begin to speak to our hearts, and I, and I know He will because He's awesome like that. And when He begins to speak for you, like how you're going to know it's Him, it, it might come across like a word flashing in your mind. You might see a movie kind of clip like playing out in your brain. but But He's going to show you something. He's going to reveal something. And the question is... What am I making Lord in my life right now? And he'll reveal it to you, and you're going to realize it's not working. And after we do that, I'm just going to ask you if you want to come and make him your Lord. Then we're going to have people come and pray for you, and we'll get into some worship, and Holy Spirit's going to do some healing work in people's lives. But let's go before him in prayer. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and do what you do best. And that's looking deep down into our hearts and souls and revealing the hidden things. And so right now, in this room, in this moment, would you come into this place and would you reveal to us the things or the people we have allowed to be Lord instead of you? We're just gonna quiet ourselves for the next 30 seconds to a minute and just let him speak to us. All right, everybody look up here at me. I'm gonna start. Because I really believe the only way to really make a difference in people's lives is we have to lead by vulnerability and authenticity. And so I just want you to know, like, I've got them. I've, I've got my idols. Um, literally just as we were praying, you know, I prayed that prayer, Holy Spirit, what, what, do you, what do you have? And, and he revealed to me in seconds, I knew exactly what it was. So when we pastored the church, the one thing I never worried about was finances, never. We had a consistent paycheck, it was never not there. And when we left pastoring to go be missionaries, like we get paid by raising support from donors. And if there's one thing I can tell you about that way of living, is it's an absolute like life of faith. Because people sometimes can and sometimes they can't, whatever, and it's up and down all the time. And uh, we've just come out of a season where, like, we've had to hit it so hard in the support raising. And I can feel myself looking to money to be security where Jesus is supposed to be. I know that's true. Because when it's not there, I stress out. And when it is there, I feel more comfortable. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me said, Josh, I am your supply. I am your supply. And so I wanna confess to all of you that I need to repent and lay down my idol of looking to money to be my savior and security. Because Jesus is supposed to be that. And so here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I want you to do the same thing. You're not gonna confess it to me, you're gonna confess it to him. And I want you to take a bold step, come out of your seat, come stand down here, kneel, whatever the posture is you need to do, but just say, this is in my life, I've made it my Lord, and I don't want to do that anymore. I want Jesus to be that. And then allow yourself to feel his grace surround you and comfort you as he fathers you well. Would you come as we sing?
0: Thank you for listening to Feed the Sheep this week. May the Spirit be within you, may it be upon you to embolden you in your faith, to go out and advance the gospel, to build the kingdom and bless the world.